If you have your Bibles, if you will go ahead and open them up, turn them on to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We continue this morning walking through the book of Ephesians. For those of you that are newer to the church, uh, confession time here. I need to make sure that I am transparent with you on this. Uh, I, I was not born a Texan. I know, I know. I cringe too whenever I think about that. I, I was born in Illinois. <sighs> it gets worse, doesn't it? Yes. And what this means is that even though we moved to Fort Worth when I was about eight years of age, I will never achieve full Texas citizenship. Unless you were born here, they don't really consider you a full Texan. Uh, this, uh, yes, yeah, same. You guys, you guys did eat some taquitos or something this morning, didn't you? Uh, it is also why I pronounce my vowels because I wasn't born in Texas. Uh, <laughs> and being born in Illinois, I, I have memories of growing up in the snow. In fact, our house was the perfect place to go sledding. Our, our front yard. You had the street, and then our front yard kind of was on a hill. And then beyond our yard was Johnny Grocock's yard. And Johnny Grocock's yard, it, it, it was, his front yard was just like this. So we would get our sleds, and we would start in Johnny Grocock's yard. We would fly down the side, go through my backyard, down our side yard, and there was a snowdrift that would gather right in front of the street. Well, everybody else's sled, whenever they hit that snowdrift, they were heavy enough to stop I was the youngest one, and so whenever my sled hit that snowdrift, it just kind of went flying over the top. <laughs> and after landing in the street a couple times, I found that about 20 yards before I got to the end, I would jump off the sled, and I would go like sliding into the driveway, and then the sled would go flying into the street. It's amazing that I survived childhood, and it's amazing that nobody was driving down the street and had a sled land in their windshield or anything like that. Well, I remember one time my, my dad was going out in the snow, and this is Illinois snow, so this isn't this, you know, two inches of ice kind of stuff that we get. This is the thick stuff, and he had these galoshes that he would wear over his shoes, and he had an extra pair, and so he was going out into the snow, and I was watching him. I was just a little guy, and I saw him going through the snow, and so I went and got his extra galoshes, and I put them on my feet. And I started chasing after him, and I was like, Daddy, 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 wait for me. And I, I, I remember this. I, I, I was walking in his footprints, and that's how I was able to, to follow him, is wherever he walked, that's where I wanted to walk. And as I look back on that, that moment, it's one of those moments where I knew my dad loved me, and I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to follow him. I wanted to walk in his footsteps. Uh, how many of you remember whenever you were a young one that you imitated your mom or your dad? How many of you guys remember, remember doing that? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 begins with these words, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. There's a basic life principle, and that is that in life, 
you will reflect what you worship. Next week's the Super Bowl. Have you already picked yourself a team to root for? How many of you are are rooting for the Broncos? Let me hear you. All right. How many of you are rooting for the Panthers? Okay. How many are just rooting for funny commercials? Okay. (laughs) Well, uh, we got some fans on the screen here, I think, and this is some Panther fans here, and you can see that they uh, reflect what they worship. And uh, I think we have some Bronco fans right there. Okay, isn't that cute? He's got a llama. And he's, he's oh, that's a Bronco, I'm sorry. But he's a, he's a Bronco fan, and he's reflecting what he worships. In life, what you ascribe worth to, you will eventually reflect it. And the Bible says that we are to be imitators of God. Now, what this means is that as a follower of God, I am to reflect God in everything that I do. In Bible times, people often lived in a great deal of fear. They were often worried about an invading army coming into their village. Whenever that would happen, sometimes as a small child, you were taken from your family. Families were destroyed. You would be enslaved. Perhaps you might be shackled and marched. and If you failed to do what they told you to do, then you would be beaten. You were taken from everything that you knew. You were taken from all of your security. But here the Bible says that we are to imitate God, and in imitating God, we imitate Christ, and we're to do so as dearly loved children. I think the message that Paul's trying to convey is that your place in God's family is secure in Christ. In Christ, you are a dearly loved child. And so we've seen in the previous chapters that in Christ, you have been made free. In Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. You are a dearly loved child. And the Bible teaches us that in Christ, nothing is ever going to separate you from the love of God, whether you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as Psalm 23 conveys, whether you walk through affliction, anguish, danger, or poverty, in Christ, you are God's dearly loved child. As a dearly loved child of God, there are times when Our attitude needs adjustment. There might be times when anger begins to rot our words. There might even be times where our walk fails to match our talk. But in Christ, you still remain a dearly loved child. If you could lose your salvation, you would do it. But your place in the family of God is not secured by your goodness. Your place in the family of God is secured by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you heard the gospel, and when you believed in Christ as Savior and Lord, 
the Holy Spirit of God sealed you in Christ forever. And because of that, you are a dearly loved child. Your place in the family of God in Christ is secure for all eternity. But, make sure you catch this, because you are a dearly loved child, the desire of our heart should be to imitate our Father. Because we know that our Father loves us, because we know that we are His child, where He walks, we should want to walk. Where He is, we should want to be because we want to imitate our God and bring Him glory in everything. For me to imitate God, I have to learn to walk in love like Christ. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, And walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave Himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Well, if I'm to walk in love, it would help if I remembered how Christ walked. How did Christ walk? Well, in John chapter 4, Jesus met a Samaritan woman, a woman who was disgraced among the townspeople, a woman who had a lot of skeletons in the closet. She was a woman out gathering water, and Jesus asked her for a drink of water, and then he began to explain to her, the living water, and how he could quench the thirst of her soul. He then spent time in the Samaritan village where a Jewish man like himself was not supposed to stay, and he reached out to the people that lived in that community, and many believed in him as the Messiah. In John chapter 5, Jesus met the lame man at the pool of Bethesda who had no one to put him in the waters. He had been there for a great period of time, And Jesus extended to him love. He healed not only his physical condition, but he also healed his soul. In John chapter 6, Jesus walked in love as he preached to 5,000. He preached to these the, the multitudes. And as he was preaching, something happened to Jesus that happens to pretty well every preacher somewhere along the way. He preached past lunch. And he realized that the people were starting to get hungry. And so Jesus fed the hungry multitude as he walked in love. In John chapter 7, you have a most interesting scene as Jesus holds fast to truth, even as his own family was making fun of him, thinking he was crazy. He walked in truth by continuing to speak the truth in love. In John chapter 8, Jesus walks in love whenever he forgives the woman that was caught in adultery. In John chapter 9, Jesus walks in love whenever he heals the blind man. In John chapter 11, Jesus walks in love whenever he weeps for his friend and then heals or raises Lazarus from the dead. In John chapter 13, Jesus walked in love when he demonstrated what servant leadership is by washing the feet of of his disciples. In John chapter 19, Jesus walked in love with a cross on his back and the sins of the world on his heart. Christ not only walked in love, he died in love. And his death on the cross was motivated by God's great love for you and for me. 
God doesn't expect you to die on the cross. Only He has the power to absorb the wrath of God upon sin. And I'm so thankful that as Jesus absorbed the wrath of God upon sin, that He left that wrath in the grave. But God does expect us in life to imitate the one who was willing to die. And in Galatians chapter 2, there's this parallel made to the Christian life and the death of Christ. The Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, to be crucified with Christ means that the old you is dead. You are a new creation in Christ, and there are some things about the old you that need to go away. Your place in Christ is secured by the blood of Christ. You are a dearly loved child for all eternity. But because you are in Christ, there are some things about you and me that should be different. Because we are to imitate Christ as we walk in love. Verse 3 continues the thought. It says, but, but sexual immorality and impurity or greed. So we have three things here. Sexual immorality impurity, and greed. And the Bible says these things should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for the saints. Well, verse 4 gets a little bit tougher. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather what, what is suitable is giving thanks. You see, for me to imitate God, not only do I need to walk in love like Christ, but I also need to talk like Christ. Our walk and our talk needs to imitate Christ. Back before I had kids, I I used to like to play golf. Once the kids came around, I put up the clubs because I just don't have enough time for it anymore. But uh, I used to try to play golf, and, and I remember one day we were out playing. There were three of us that were in a group together. And if you know anything about golf, they like to put the golfers in foursomes. And so if you come in a group of three, they will pair you up with a solo golfer. And so they, they paired us up with this guy, and he had this really big personality. And very quickly I learned a lot about him, and I discovered that he was a half-drunk stand-up comedian. I mean, that, that, that was what he did for a living. He, he would do stand-up comedy, and that day as he was playing golf, he was half drunk. And so it was interesting to say the least. Well, about three holes in, I, I discover it's like I'm playing golf with Chris Rock here. And so he, he looks at me, and he says, so slash. He smiles, you know. What is it that you do for a living? I looked at him and I said, I beat up stand-up comics. I I didn't really say that part. I told him, I'm a pastor. 
And I, I never will forget it to this day. He, he almost fell out of the cart. I mean, he, he was totally shocked. And he starts telling me how religious he is and how he grew up as an altar boy and all these kind of things like that. You know, he's trying to really make up ground really quickly. It was a, it was a classic moment in golf history. It's hard to be like Christ when every other word out of your mouth is full of sexual innuendo, when every word out of your mouth is a pursuit of greed, whenever the words that you speak are laced with profanity. Well, that's just me, Lash. I just like to tell it like change. Change. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, change the way that you talk because it does not honor God. Instead of arrogance, our words should demonstrate thankfulness. You don't cuss people into the kingdom of God. Lost people don't say, hey, you know what? I I realized my need of Christ because you're so much like me that I just have to have what you have. Both Jesus' walk and his talk reflected God, not man, and so should ours. Verse 5 says, For know and recognize this, every sexual immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of the God. Now, uh, to, and of God. Now, to understand, verse 5, the key word in there is idolater. An idol is a false image of God. And so someone who worships A false image of God is an idolater. And if you're worshiping something other than God, if you're worshiping a false image of God, that makes you an idolater. And idolaters are not true children of God. Now, what is an idolater? Well, sometimes an idolater might worship a statue. We've all seen that. Probably whenever you say the word idolatry, that's the first thing you think about is somebody worshiping a statue. God, after all, is spirit, and because of his uh, omnipotence and omnipresence, you can't contain him. And so sometimes people want to take God and put him in a box, put him in a statue, because you can touch that, you can see it, you can feel that. And you say, I I can see this. And so you try to contain God and turn him into a statue. That's idolatry. Whenever we worship something as God, it can be idolatry. So nothing wrong with being a big football fan. Whenever you worship football, it becomes idolatry. Nothing wrong with enjoying your car, but whenever you worship cars, it becomes idolatry. Nothing wrong with having a gourmet kitchen, but whenever you start worshiping that, It can become idolatry. When you place something in the position that rightfully belongs to God, you make that an idol. And there's a third, more subtle form of idolatry, and that's whenever we try to reshape God into something we want Him to be. And so instead of worshiping the God that is seen on the pages of Scripture, instead of worshiping God for who He is, we worship the God of our imagination. And frequently how I see this play out in our culture is we have these ideas of how 
we think God should be, and we try to pour him into our mold. And if the God of the Bible contradicts what we think God should be like, we change him to be who we want him to be. That's idolatry. There's a lot of false images of God out there. There's the grandpa God. It says God's a nice old man. He's benign, forgiving, wears cardigans. If you mess up, he gives you a Werther's. There's the Candyland God. God exists to give you things. You see it in the health and wealth gospel. God's just kind of out there just showering down things upon you. There's the man upstairs God. God's my buddy. God's my co-pilot. And he kind of hangs out with me until I need him. And whenever I need him, I say, Jesus, take the wheel. And then he takes the wheel, and then he, he's in control. He's just kind of the man upstairs. There's the radar gun God. God's hiding out at the parking lot at Murphy Road Baptist Church, waiting for you to mess up. And as soon as you mess up, he grabs one of his lightning bolts and he just zaps you. There's the image of God that's the emotional God. That God doesn't pay attention to you unless you really cry and yell a lot. And if you cry and yell and really get emotional, then God will, will pay attention to you. And a lot of people develop these false image of God, images of God, and that's what they worship. Now, here's something that's really important for us to get, church. Where do people get these false images of God? They usually get it from churches or from Christians who reflect a false image. Your walk and your talk will always reveal what you truly worship. So several questions for you today as I wrap up. Number one. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Has there ever been that time where you realize your need for His forgiveness and you realize your need for a Savior, and so you bow the knee before Christ, acknowledging Him as your Savior, your Lord, and your God, identifying with Him, just as Elliot spoke of earlier today? Has there ever been that time in your life where you became a believer in Christ. If not, I pray that today is your day where you make that decision. You say, well, yeah, Lash, I'm a believer in Christ. Well, let me ask you this question. Does your walk imitate God? Does your talk imitate God? My prayer for you today is, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, And walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Imagine how different the world could be if the people of God reflected him in our walk, in our talk. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? As we stand, I'm going to ask you to bow your head in respect to God. The musicians are going to come, and they're going to lead us in what we call a commitment hymn. As our heads are bowed, I ask you that question again. 
Has there ever been that time in your life where you personally believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If there has not, I invite you to make this your moment. To mark out this moment in your life as the point where you surrendered your life to the God who loves you. To the God who sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. And so I encourage you right now to just call out to God. You might say something like, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I place my faith in Jesus Christ. I trust in Him as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you to change me from the inside out. And to help me walk in your spirit. To know you. To serve you. To love you. Help me, Lord, to walk in love. And talk words of gratitude rather than words of attitude. And I encourage you to pray that prayer in the name of Jesus. And I want to ask you if today is the day where you're making that commitment to be a follower of Christ, to do something. Either let me know, I'll be here at the front during this next song, or let somebody in your life that you know walks with Christ know that today you have made this decision because we want to encourage you and help you each step of the way and help you know what it looks like to truly live your life for Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment where we as a church family have had the joy of opening the Scriptures and seeing what it is that you have spoken to us. I pray, Father, that we will not just be hearers of the Word, But may we be doers. And Lord, may the truths that we've seen in your word today be reflected in our lives. I pray, Lord, that in our walk, we will walk in love. And I pray, Father, that the words that we speak will reflect you. So that whenever people see our lives, whenever they hear us speak, whenever they see our attitude, Father, may they get a glimpse of you and be drawn to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.